Hey, Augmenters! We are so excited today to share our time with the incredible chess grandmaster, Maurice Ashley. But before we jump in, this is such an exciting episode because Jimmy and I are very excited to announce we have our first digital product, the Mentor Leader Starter Kit, with a goal of bringing Augmenters to your own organization or mentoring experience. We'll talk a little bit more about it later, but it's available at augmenters.us. Without further ado, I'm so excited about this episode, Jimmy. Maurice is one of my favorite humans. He is a friend of mine, which I'm very grateful for, and has been a big part of my entrepreneur journey. And he is the chess grandmaster. Are you excited about this episode? Are you kidding? Of course. I've never spoken to a chess grandmaster before. Never had anybody actually take time to speak to me who had earned such a title. I was I was a little nervous even going into the episode because I it was you know this is a very impressive individual who clearly thinks way faster than I do so I had to be on my toes. That is definitely true, Jimmy. Just kidding. Um, but also, <laughs> I loved hearing about his mentors. This was so exciting. I wonder. I wasn't sure how often he really talked about his mentors, but the depth of love he had for these people who had supported him on his journey and what they brought to him was so so inspiring. The shout outs that he gives throughout to a couple of his key mentors really speaks volumes to how Maurice was able to build relationships in a very competitive game slash industry, you could even call it, and continue to further himself, even when at times he felt like he was running out of experts to play against and he had to figure out ways to improve himself in alternative uh, fashions compared to others. But I love, 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 and we can't get away from this quote, how his original, original mentor, Willie Johnson, or Pop, as he was referred to as, was the first person to ever call Maurice Grandmaster. And he said it to Maurice even before Maurice said it to himself. And that is such a powerful line and thought process about, you know, not even manifesting what you want to achieve, just being like, this is it. It's it's happening, just not here yet. And that is still a line that resonates with me. I'll never be able to call myself grandmaster of anything, but it it was a really special You're still thing. young, Jimmy. You're still young. You're still young. You have lots of potential. You never know. You could be a me- I mean, as a mentor leader, this is another great way, calling somebody something before they even get started. I know some people are running mentoring programs, feel a little intimidated about it, but you're a leader. If you say you're a leader, which I think is what we really learned from that. And- I knew Maurice a long time ago when our our kids were little. And if you are a parent, definitely hold tight because there are some parenting gems in here that are on post-it notes all over my computer. And I continue to quote now. Oh, yeah. And on top of parenting quotes, we have our first on the podcast shout out to Tim Ferriss, where Maurice continues something that really meant a lot to us. He continues to show some of his vulnerability along his journey and calls out how some advice he had gotten from reading books actually didn't help him down the road and having Maurice share something that, you know, he might not be proud of, but affected him and helped him learn in the end is something really special. And we feel lucky to be able to uh, have those conversations with uh, such amazing people. And honestly, we have to stop talking and just go to the episode because it's too good. Here we go. (music) 
Maurice, thank you so, so much for coming to spend some time with us today. This is extra special for me because Maurice, I feel like you were a really big part of my early entrepreneur journey. I am really grateful that I'd had the chance to meet you. We got to spend time together. I had just come back from China. Kids were little. It was maybe before I left for China. I think it might have been before I left for China. I'm trying to remember when it was that we were hanging out together. It was before. And I don't know. We're just figuring out what to do next. And you and I spent a lot of time talking about dreaming about big businesses, dreaming about different things. You were doing lots of cool chess things around the city. And I'm so inspired by everything that you've done um, since then. So thanks for coming on to our Augmenters podcast today. And I'm really happy to see you. Thanks for having me. Yes, it is definitely a stroll down memory lane. uh, As you describe, I remember Eat Well Global and we all had, we both had trying to take our businesses to the next level. So I'll never forget time. you You telling me, you're like, Julie, have you ever heard of Groupon? I was like, what? You're like, you're never going to believe this. <laughs> you're like, this company's worth like a billion dollars and they're just like selling. I'm like, what? We were like eating, I don't know, diner food, tripping out about that. So yeah. And you've been up to so much. So I'd love if you don't mind just giving kind of like an update on who you are. What are you doing? That's such a dangerous question because I could go back in time and I would probably be four or five different people. You know, I went through the coaching stage where I coached children, coach young people uh, to play chess. We won a couple of three national championships. In fact, these were kids from uh, Harlem, central Harlem. Surprised quite a few people when we successfully stormed the chess world. Uh, I was a player at one point as well, became a grandmaster in uh, 1999. So that was a pretty big accomplishment for myself. One of my great goals in life that I achieved. I became an organizer of chess events. That's probably my most difficult period because it involved managing lots of egos, lots of people who were interested in in only themselves. You know that kind of <laughs> didn't the care about it. And it, that, it, isn't that the quote? You know, events are great except for the people. Yes, absolutely. And I experienced that in spades. It was quite a difficult time. I also became a commentator, which is actually sort of my latest profession, although now I'm in a new phase as well. But I was a commentator for many years. I commentated on all the top chess events. And people say, a chess commentator? Do they have those? Yes, we do. And we treat chess as a sport. And I was one of those voices that made chess come alive to an average audience or not so specialized audience, uh, bringing some of my Brooklyn style trash talking (laughs) into the mix. And now, just this year, I decided to press press pause on commentary and begin a new phase of my career where I am now more a content creator. I started a little bit of it on Twitch uh, last year, or, or I guess it was right in the middle of the pandemic that I started to do commentary online uh, by myself this time with my own material. And uh, it's kind of inspired me to go out and create more of my own content. So I'm in that phase now, trying to figure things out, in fact. Haven't crystallized anything yet, but I've told everyone I'm not doing commentary this year and people are going absolutely nuts. Like, what do you mean? Uh, but yeah, I I'm probably will get back to that. But for now, I love to always uh, reinvent myself. Is, is that the Gangster Chess uh, logo and brand you got there uh, around your content? Yes, that's that's my brand, Gangster Chess. It's definitely an attitude. It's a swag. It's a way you play chess. It's a, it's when you go after them, no holes barred, just throw chess pieces and chop them up. 
And that's the kind of chess I like. I love it. Well, I think probably the most, I guess, obvious question to ask you in terms of how you got into chess, would you say you had a chess mentor that got you in here at all? Or how would you say, you know, maybe how mentoring showed up early in your in your chess journey? First of all, I learned chess watching my brother play his friends. They love to play. We played in, we played a lot of games in Jamaica where I was born. And I was there until I was 12 years old. And I think I came to chess around age eight or so. But it was only one of many games that we played because we played a lot of board games. We, we played a lot of games. So chess was not that special to me early on. It came into my life again when I came to the United States and I went to Brooklyn Technical High School where I saw a friend playing chess. I picked it up again and that's when I fell in love with it. The biggest mentor I had in my life around chess at that time, and he remains a friend to this day. So you can imagine, uh, I picked it up when I was 14. So this is 42 years ago. I met a man named Willie Johnson, who everyone calls Pop. I met him when I was 17 years old. And he's a chess player. So a friend of ours, a mutual friend, introduced us, went to his apartment and played chess. And I just came to know who he was as a human being. And he was a, an expert level player, which is not quite yet a master player. He was a far superior human being than he was a chess player. An absolutely warm soul. Uh, he has a laugh as soon as you, he's one of those people, as soon as you say hello, he starts laughing, right? And he's, he's laughing with his hello. It's an incredible, incredible character. And he, I can't tell enough stories about how much he mentored me and not necessarily with chess, but with life. But it was always around a chessboard. We we always were interacting around chess. His ability, his experience, his ability to relate, uh, his ability to make you feel comfortable with any situation. I could tell him anything about my life. And although he he is 18 years older than I am, he was like a peer and just such a great friend. And he's been what I would say is a mentor to this day. He's now... Uh, 74 years old, and he's still a bright, shining light. And I love it when I call him because he'll always have something great to say. That's amazing. And, and is he really kind of a mentor around chess in general? He's now a pool player. Ah, <laughs> he loves to play pool. Feeling. Yeah, see, he's not in chess anymore. But I remember I didn't have a lot of money growing up in Brooklyn. I wanted to buy a chess book, and I had decided – from, that I was going to walk home from Manhattan because I didn't have the the money <laughs> to get on the subway. I didn't have that for exercise. You were just trying to get your steps in. <laughs> I was like, that, that's what I'm going to do. I can't, I, I don't have enough. And I remember him buying the book for me. I mean, he was surprised. Like I was so into knowledge that I would do that. And I remember him giving me the money for the book. And from there, he would just always talk me through anything. And our, the biggest difference he made in my life professionally was a time when I was playing for my grandmaster title and I was in a tournament. It was on my birthday. Okay, imagine now, this is my 33rd birthday. I'm playing against an international master, Greg Shahadi, and I lose the game. I'm devastated. It's the second game of the tournament. I've been trying to get this damn title for years and here's a big opportunity. And on the, in the second game, I lose. Now we have seven more games to play and I have to basically haul ass. I, I have to play like a genius after that. I can't lose any more games. I've got to start winning just about every single game. I call Pop that that day, just devastated, down. And he talked me down off the ledge. 
and we spent two hours on the phone. And by the time I was done, I felt like a superstar. And I went and won five games in a row. And I just, I just started playing like a boss. And I could tell you, at that moment, I was so locked into my own head that if my mentor wasn't right there to take me out of my self-pity mode, I wouldn't have succeeded. He just really meant so much. And I ended up getting my grandmaster title. And the rest is history. That is amazing. The story about Popeye and the book for you and kind of realizing, hey, I want to invest in this kid's happiness because I see something so special here. What Was that the turning point when you realized that, you know, there was something beyond, you know, the chessboard and pieces with Pop for you and that like he actually was going to care on like a deeper level and show up for you in more ways and just how to move around the board? You know, he sort of hinted at it before, but that one is the one I remember. So it must have been special. It was a big moment, and uh, we both remember it. So it definitely was a key moment for both of us. And one other thing that he would do is, and he does it to this day, well, now he can do it properly, is long before I became a grandmaster, I probably might, I might have made it to expert. So you have to go expert, master, senior master, international master, grandmaster. So a lot of steps, and those are steps that, <laughs> like destroy a lot of dreams. Trust me, incredibly hard. <laughs> no matter how, to get no matter how level, many mentors you have to get right? all the way there, it's, it's, it's really it's hard. Rough going. It's like climbing Mount Everest. What he saw in me, even when I was just an expert player, anytime I called him on the phone, he would always answer, "What's up, Grandmaster?" And that was his mm. way affirming for me what he felt would be manifested in the future, which is that one day I would become a grandmaster. And you know, I was kind of embarrassed, right? Like. I'm not a grandmaster. It's like calling Obama president before he becomes president. You know, it's like you're not Mr. President yet. You're you still got to do it. But that's how he felt. He had that he had that belief in me that one day I would make it to the mountaintop. And so he just always said it. What's up, grandmaster? And then finally, when I did it, I remember him first calling me a grandmaster after that. And it was like, wow. How magical is it that it's finally here, finally true? That vision he had for me was finally realized. Whereas I, I have goosebumps from just thinking about, about the about first time he then called you grandmaster when you earned it. And that's the second time you gave me goosebumps in that story. Not only I took from what you just said, not only was Pop manifesting where you're going to go, but you were vulnerable enough to tell him your dream. You actually share that that's a big goal. You know, you, you might not make it. And of course, the ones you might not make are the goals that are like the most rewarding to get to. That's a pretty powerful thing, too, that you know, just like you had that vulnerability so early on with him. And he knew he could play back at you just being like, so, Grandmaster, you know, OK, you're going to do this or what? Yeah, we're always climbing in chess. Every chess player is a wannabe next level player. Right. In our heads, we're better than we actually play. It's always the case. It's like, why am I making these stupid moves? I'm better than this. <laughs> but he knew that I wasn't aspiring to be little. Right. My dreams weren't small. And it was difficult in the environment that we were in because, first of all, there were no African-American grandmasters. Right. They're just zilch. So we, we didn't have people to fall back on and say, hey, look, you could become like this person. Uh, I was definitely blazing a trail and did end up blazing the trail by becoming the first. The other thing is a lot of players 
they decided they did not want to compete in big competitions against the toughest level of players. They wanted to keep their ratings low, which is something you can do in chess where you don't go up to the higher category. You compete in lower categories and you win the category and maybe win some money along with it. I never thought this was a cool idea. And people would suggest to me like, wow, you're talented. Why don't you just keep your rating low? I'm like, no, I'm talented. It means I should be going as high as possible. So he encouraged that. He knew I was aiming for the sky. And it was great uh, that whatever he could do, he helped me with. First of all, I just have to say, again, like Jimmy, I'm like covered in goosebumps and getting choked up because something that we talk about in our first principle is vision, right? And really having that vision for yourself. Where where do you imagine yourself going? And I think the fact, it sounded like that you could really see yourself there, but that somebody else also verified that for you and reflected that back to you. I always feel... I have always felt like I wanted to be a leader and it took me a while and a lot of people to say, you know, I see you as a leader. And then you start to just like feel, and the more you hear that people call you those kind of things, you start to feel it for yourself. So what a beautiful reminder of how important it is for the people in our lives that we mentor to really reflect to them how great we see them as and what we see for them. And make sure that we keep communicating that to them because it's really meaningful. And of course, I love the word manifest. And that just by hearing that, by speaking those words, you see what can happen. It's incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree with that so much. It it was hard because, like I said, there were no African-Americans in the, not just in our neighborhood, but in the country. And for us to believe that it was possible, I remember when I was journeying on the path, there were so many players, African-Americans who were saying, you've got to do it for us. Like, go for it. We, and I'm like, for you, I'm trying to do it for myself. But the additional <laughs> pressure of having to do it for a whole race of players, right? It's like, whoa, that's a serious task. <laughs> Tall order, no pressure there. But I had my core group. And it, it wasn't just Pop. It was also Ronald Simpson, uh, who has passed on. He was a dear friend of mine. His mentorship was different. His mentorship was about kicking my ass at the chessboard. Like he, we went to battle. We would take out swords and fight through the night. I mean, it's, we played blitz chess, which is five minute chess. For those who don't know, it's a clock. It's fast paced. The games end in 10 minutes because each one of us has five minutes per side. If your time runs out, you lose. We would start fighting. Uh, and I mean, fight dog fights at 9 p.m on a Friday night and we would play from 9 PM till 9 AM. Oh my God. Just samurai tussles. It was ridiculous. And then we would, we'd look outside and it was, the sun was up and we're like, and we'd be dead even after like 60 games, you oh know, more, many more games than that. And the thing, yeah, just about that. And, and we look at each other like you bastard, <laughs> I was trying to crush you all night, but Ronnie was such a sweet human being, a dear friend, and he was a bit older than me by a few years as well. So he was always ahead of me in the journey. And he was one of those who also believed that uh, I would be a strong player, but he believed in himself as a strong player as well. So can you talk a little bit about how maybe some of these relationships moved past the mentoring relationship too? Because you talk about both of them, you're like, they're, they're not friends. So obviously you're not just jamming about chess. You know, you, you've expanded that really quickly. You're not just calling pop to talk about chess at times. You know, what, was there specific instances in, in your brain when you were like, oh yeah, like 
this isn't just chess anymore. We're actually just talking about, you know, my life or, or my mentor's life. I mean, of course, just like eventually you as a parent sort of become equal with your kids, which is a very strange feeling for those of us who have old enough children. Jimmy, you don't know about that yet, but one day you will. <laughs> that eight Fiona's week old very will, independent will be telling you stuff. You'll be like, what? <laughs> the, the, the same thing happens in these kinds of friendships, right? Pop is, is 74, so he's not as technologically savvy, for example. So there are moments when I'm telling him, you know, there's this thing called the iPhone. I think you should get it. <laughs> Is he still using his Commodore? Yeah. And, he's like, and I mean, it changed his life. Like, and then he got an iPad and it's like, it's, the world's over. But I also remember, you know, when critical things happened in my life, the first time, for example, when my future wife got pregnant and I came, he was the first person I went to tell. And he was like, whoa, you're going to be a dad. You know, this is a, it was a big, big moment. I remember that sitting with him in that conversation because I was scared silly. <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Terrifying. It was it was a terrifying moment. I remember when I eventually, with that with that same future wife, she was about to become my ex-wife, and talking to him about that and him being in my corner. Big moments in my life, I could turn to him and and speak as as a dear friend, someone who would always be there to support me, and that's how I feel to this day. And it's the same for him. It's special that someone who could be at a distance in that way collapses the distance, the mentor relationship collapses into a deep friendship. Well, and that actually, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because something that I have certainly had on my mind is in your sport, you have a lot of competition, you have direct competitors. So how does mentoring show up in chess when potentially as the mentor, you could be mentoring the next person who's going to beat you at the next be kind of the one that comes up and takes over. How does mentoring show up uh, outside of your relationship with pop, but with the, with the serious chess competitors, is there, does mentoring happen? Absolutely. Uh, one thing about chess is it's a young person sport. So you age out of chess. People think you know, the older you get, the better you get. It's like, yeah, up to a point. And then the wheels fall off. Is that, is that just because, we, our brains get a little tired. Our brains get a little tired. Our bodies get a little tired. It's hard to keep up with that energy that the young players have. And so you just basically know uh, that the person you're schooling right now is going to be teaching you some stuff in 10 years time. So yes, our job is to let that generation, as we see the talented ones coming up, know that they're going to be great players. And that kind of great wisdom is shared as the better players see the future ones. I remember one bit of advice, mentorship advice I got from Alexander Shabalov, who was one of the great players in the U.S. now. He's from Latvia originally. He came to the U.S. He won four or five U.S. championship titles. He's a Hall of Famer now. And I remember I was aiming for the Grandmaster title, not in this tournament I told you about earlier, but in a previous one. This was one of my failures. I lost this game to Grandmaster Michael Betzel of Germany. And I was winning the game. And if I had won the game, I would have gotten the title on the spot. And I lost the game. And I made this move that cost me the game. But I didn't realize it was the move at the time. And he what was had the move? Been, it was just this, it was a choice between capturing a rook or capturing a pawn. And of course, like a doofus, I captured the rook because, hey, a rook is more valuable than a pawn. So who wants a pawn where you can get a rook? Turned out it was a bad idea. And after the game, he had been he'd been watching and afterwards he came to me and he and he said, you know, that moment was when you, you took the rook. 
versus taking the power. I said, I wasn't sure because it took me a while to decide, but I wasn't sure. But greed got the better of me. And he said, don't worry about it. You know, you you'll get you'll get there one day soon. And then he said these words that were just like Yoda speaking. Right. He said, in order to become a grandmaster, you must first be a grandmaster. And that kind of just stopped me and floored me. The idea that I was trying to accomplish this aim by getting the wins, by like winning at winning in the tournament. You have to beat these players. That's how you do it, right? It's like graduating, passing the test. And what he was saying is that you don't pass the test at the test. It's before that. You have to prepare yourself so fully with such certainty that you realize that that's what you are. You are a grandmaster. And so when you get there, you're just manifesting who you are, all the preparation you've done, all the work you've done, all the years you've put in, the attitude, the swag. You just do it at the board. And it, it just reset how I my approach to how I thought about trying to get good at anything, frankly, uh, that it, it wasn't about proving yourself in the moment when the test came. It was long before that, that you had to be prepared. That's the kind of advice, small nuggets that, grandmasters will do mentors will do grandmaster chess players as mentors will do or any teacher in chess will do is just give you those small little nuggets it's just a moment when they say one thing and that's it and it's the one that's transformation i, I love it because you, you you've already won the the title because you put in the work the work it's there you know you don't win in the game that's it's a big deal i got a question maurice you know as being the first you know being a trailblazer like this you know that takes on you, you weren't just, you know, just a grandmaster is, of course, underscoring the entire statement. But, you know, there there's a lot more that's going into that for you. You know, was it harder than you think than than others who uh, who became grandmasters to find mentors, to find people who you could feel vulnerable with and know that they're being vulnerable with you along the way? It was quite a challenge, actually, uh, just from the, the neighborhood I grew up in, the cultural difference. I didn't have a lot of access that other players had. Frankly, I, I would watch other players. It'd be like six or seven of them who would study together. And But these were master, international master, grandmaster level players. We didn't have that. <laughs> I didn't have anybody. At some point, I became better than all my friends. And so I it was just a limited opportunity to to make that happen, to grow by having friends around who could give you key advice, discoveries they have that maybe you might use in a game. Actually, the the one friend I had who was on the same journey was a Josh Waitskin, who remains a friend to this day. And Josh was the subject of the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. And he was wishing one day to become a grandmaster as well. He eventually decided that he didn't want to be a chess player at some point. But we both went to war. We traveled the world together. Uh, he was absolutely one of my dearest friends and and uh, his family was too Fred his dad uh, we would have many long talks walks and talks together uh, his mother Katya um, I mean his sister Katya and his mother Bonnie but they they were just a, a family for me and they were in Manhattan a Jewish family not my culture not my background but we became dear friends and we were able to share Intel as we battled in the chess world. And, and so that, you know, that was very, that was incredible for me as well. That was somebody who, who helped a lot. But other, other than that, I would have to pay for coaching. I mean, that's, that's the way you get it. 
uh, these Russian coaches, Vitaly Zaltzman, actually, who was from the Ukraine, uh, you, that was their living. And so you had to come up with the resources to get that kind of chess mentorship, get inside of the head of somebody who's seen the Soviet school of chess and, and can drop some kernels of knowledge so that you can grow as a player. So there got to be a point where the, the mentoring almost needed to be in addition to coaching. You had kind of your mentors, but then coaching was going to get you to the next level. Because we do talk quite a bit uh, kind of on the corporate side too, right? You can have mentors for a certain stretch of time and then there's coaches and they all kind of form this, you know, sort of advisory board for you that helps you, yes. you know, continue to grow to fulfill your vision um, and, and how you kind of surround yourself by them. I want to go back to what you said before, because Jimmy knows because I'm old, I have my post-its. When I write things on my post-its and put it on my computer, um, you definitely made a post-it there with, you know, when you're saying you have to be a grandmaster before you are a grandmaster. And so I think the idea of you have to be a leader before you are a leader and that you can be a leader at any point in your career, at any point in time. I'm totally using that. I'm stealing it. And I will credit you. I promise. Be like, my friend Maurice, who's a grandmaster. Well, it was really Shabalov. <laughs> it was really Shabalov who said it. <laughs> okay. So I'll, can, I'll credit it can, all uh... the way back. I'll credit it all the way back. Um, but I would love to hear how, how do you, do you, you know, how do you mentor? How do you, you know, are, would you consider yourself a mentor today? Do you have, you know, mentees or, or folks that, that you mentor? And how do they approach you? How do they, you know? especially ones who don't know you personally yet. I absolutely have been a mentor all my life as well. Like I said, I coach kids uh, when I was doing that back, back in the nineties. It was the first time I had that great opportunity to influence someone's life. And in this case, a group of kids lives with chess. And I remember when we first went to the national championships uh, in, it was in Tempe, Arizona. This is in 1990. And the kids came in uh, fifth place. We tied as a team for fifth place. And Afterwards, I said to them, you know, fifth is not good enough. We got to win this whole thing. Are you guys up for summer training? And they're like, yep, forget the summer. <laughs> We're going <laughs> to play chess all summer. And I wasn't getting paid for it. I just hung out with them. And I would see them two or three times a week. And we'd go over some chess stuff. And we'd talk life. And that was my first taste of the kind of influence you can have on the next generation. I wasn't much older than them. I was 10 years older, but it mattered to them that somebody that close in age had the ability that I had. I was at the time a senior master. The kinds of nuggets that I could tell them that, you know, it was just mind blowing. And for me, that was so satisfying. It became an integral part of my life for many years. And, I, and then I, anytime I had the opportunity to tell or mentor someone, usually it's people are bold enough to say, you know, could you give me some advice? And I think it's so critical to share what you have with others who are on the journey, you never know what they're they're going to do, what they're going to be, and you, who you might be talking to, who might be a game changer. And uh, and so, yeah, I've had that chance, and it's one of the most satisfying things you could do. Yep. We talk a lot about sort of reverse, the idea of reverse mentoring in the sense that how much you learn from the people that you mentor, like you're saying, even now with technology and new techniques and different ways that the game's being done, I'm sure you learn from them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. They say, if you want to learn, then teach. Yeah. And that's, to me, that's a core part of, of my personality and my, my methodology for growth. And in a way, I mean, you, you talked about earlier about, you know, the lack of access that you had uh, as you were continuing to coach and it just wasn't like right next to you and as available. I mean, do, do you sometimes feel an added pressure as being the first, depending who's reaching out to you, that you're like, hey, I, I'm here and now like I, I want to make sure that, you know, other people know that they can do this too if they really want to put their mind to it. 
Absolutely. Uh, I have additional programs as well. But just before the pandemic, I, I traveled to Africa and I was in eight African countries. It was quite a great time. In about uh, three years, I went to eight countries. And wow. so I was in Kenya and South Africa, Madagascar, Namibia, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Ghana, Tanzania. And I feel like I'm forgetting one, Rwanda. And all of them I visited because in those places, people are fans of the game, but they don't have the resources and not a lot of grandmasters show up. And certainly not a lot of grandmasters looking like me show up. So it was quite a pleasure, enriching experience to go there and give them advice, teach the teachers, interface with the students as well, the young people, and give them the benefit of my knowledge. And I can tell you, you talk about getting as much as you give. Those trips are life changers. So yeah, I do feel that pressure, so to speak, or that additional responsibility. I don't see it as a pressure. I see it as additional responsibility that those who may have experienced something of what I've experienced get, will get a leg up from me because they should. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last gift gear shift I have for you, Maurice, if you don't mind, as parents of soon to be adult children, although I know um, Nia is, is basically an adult. How, how do you how do you bring mentoring and parenting together? What would you say? Do you feel like your kids kind of see you as a mentor? Do you ask you advice? How do you, how do you handle that? And I'm just I'm just asking for. And I'm sure they tell you about technology all the time. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> my daughter is actually a woman now because uh, she's 27, about to turn 28. So yeah, the, the young one is is 20, and he's still working on manhood. <laughs> need him to hurry up. <laughs> but, Did you need? Do you need Veronica to call him and give him some advice? <laughs> he's he's getting there. He's him. getting there. But uh, hurry up, kid. But you know, it's. Yes, my kids do see me as someone they can come to and get advice from, which I think is really special. I think it's cool. I told Jaden recently, I, I heard a comedian say it really well. He said, I'm no longer a provider. I'm your advisor. That's where I am now. And I think that's important for parents to get to that point. We hope right? <laughs> we don't have to be providers anymore. We, we can just be advisors. But it's important for the the child to understand that as well. They don't need to follow behind their parent. And Nia recently said something to me that manifested that, that illustrated that perfectly. She's She's been at this job that she really doesn't like, and she wants to be a filmmaker, but she's doing a kind of admin job, pays well. And so she's kind of sucked into that. But it's I've been telling her, come on, live your dream, follow your passion. That's what the Ashleys do. She finally told me that she's leaving the job soon, and I was excited. And I said, well, how'd you come to that? And she said, I, you know, I just started thinking, what would I do if money and or my parents' opinions didn't matter? And I was, I was like, wait, 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 I'm your parent. Like, I, did I give you bad advice or something? And she said, no, that's not what I mean. You've, you've never pressured me. But I've always thought that I had to please you guys. And so just that pulled me out of that kind of thinking. And now, you know, I just realized that I wanted to, to follow my own, uh, my own music. And I was so proud of her that she had arrived at this moment. And, you know, you can, you can only lead your kids, but so much sooner or later they have to come to it. And that's, I think the best thing that a mentor could ever hope for is that the mentee gets their own independent thought and, and strength and is able to just go out and on their own. And that's how I, 
I've always wanted it for my kids. So one down, one more to go. <laughs> I, I mean, Maurice, that's such a, I mean, you've now given me like a goal that I want. Like I want to be able to say to my daughter, you know, follow your dreams, go get it. That's what the Edgertons do. Like for you to say that with such like conviction and of course, like back that up too. like, that's not just like a, that's a real thing you can say. That's a powerful line right there. This is what the Ashleys do. That's right. That's a proud proud name we wear. Hell yeah. I love that. And I love that. I am am not a provider. I'm an advisor. It's so true. It's probably why I think you and I bonded, uh, Maurice, because I think you and I were both a bit hands off or just kind of like, I don't know, they'll they'll figure it out (laughs) compared to some of the other parents in our neighborhood. Um, But I, I think that idea as a mentor is we're just here to coach and advise and give thoughts and ask questions and, you know, let somebody come to it and be able to, to get to their own place. Because obviously when they own it, they're, they're going to own it. You know, people don't want to let us down. Like we don't want to let each other down as uh, partners or as business partners or, you know, for you, even for your mentors too. So I think allowing that ability to let go of some of that pressure that you doing what's right for you isn't letting us down. That's actually the best thing for you. So that was really inspiring for me. I think it's important that any kind of advice we give, we understand that we we shouldn't put so much emphasis on the advice that we know it to be true that the other person takes it like it's a religious edict, right? That you could easily influence someone in a way where Afterwards, you said, I didn't mean for you to do it if it didn't feel right. Like, you should be doing what you feel is good. So anytime we give advice, there should always be that window that the person can come back and say, I heard your advice. It was very useful. Actually, it was useful because I knew what I didn't want to do. Right? And that's a good thing, too. They're just bouncing ideas off of you, and that's how you should treat your mentorship. I think that also speaks so well to one of uh, your many quotes, your uh, segment we have on this show is let's get crazy. And you have like more than given me enough uh, with that. Uh, I love it. But like when you said not a lot of grandmasters show up, that, that wasn't not a lot of grandmasters tell you exactly what to do to how to become a grandmaster. No, I'm showing up to support you and how you want to go on your journey to become a grandmaster. And like, that's, that's my takeaway of, of our podcast so far, uh, Maurice. That, that was, that's a big line. I'm so inspired. I'm like covered in goosebumps. But do you have kind of one main resource? Somebody kind of reaches out to you out of the blue. You have a couple of conversations, not kind of not like a lifelong mentor, uh, mentee. But do you have any resources that you pass on? A favorite book, a favorite? I have no singular book that one of my favorites, though, that said, comes from uh, someone who I guess would call himself a mentor. One of my favorite uh, uh, intellectual gurus is Tim Ferriss. And his book, Four Hour Work Week, is just like a Bible to me. It's a, to people who are budding entrepreneurs. I think I gave you this advice I was way like, back I when, was like, if I'm oh not mistaken, gosh. Julie. We totally, you totally, totally. I don't know if you gave me the book or you talked to me about the book. Jimmy actually calls Tim Ferriss Timmy Ferris. I don't know if you knew that was his nickname. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's, it's what some of my friends who all read the book uh, referred to him as. And, uh, I, I don't say it in my syllabus, but for uh, but for class, uh, one of the course materials is read Tim Ferriss's The Four Hour Work Week, the, the revised edition. We, we, there's one of his uh, his uh, his chapters that is is a required reading for nutrition and entrepreneurship. Incredible. Well, he he's such a fascinating person. One thing 
I, I actually did a podcast with him. He interviewed me for his his podcast. And I shared with him that his book ruined my life. <laughs> and so he's like, what? He's like, thanks for your advice, dude. <laughs> but I said it, I, I was serious, but but I also said it playfully, of course. The thing was that trying to follow his advice at, the, at that particular time in my life was extremely difficult and got me in financial trouble. I mean, got me in severe financial trouble, in fact, because I was like, screw work. I'm not doing anything I don't want to do. I'm going to follow this map, this roadmap. I'm going to, going to do only the things I like to do, and I'll invest everything I've got in that lifestyle. Well, one of the, one of the things he said early on in the book was, make sure there's cash flow. <laughs> like make sure there's cash flow, but I just I kind of chose to ignore that because he didn't make a special emphasis on it. So anyway, I went on and did the rest of his book, and the timing just wasn't right, didn't work well, and trust me, I suffered for a while. But fortunately, eventually, the wheel did turn. I did get into uh, some successful situations, and. Now I'm I'm living the life, and I can say thanks to him. I really appreciated all that advice. How did he take you? Uh... He loved it. He loved it. <laughs> he cracked up. Keep the cash flow. At, at first, at first, you know, he was like, "What, dude? What?" <laughs> but then, but then he said, "Wow, that's that's great." He was happy that I that he could make such a difference in my life. Yeah, I think he's been kind of a mentor for both of us too. I think, or at least for me, for sure. I really, really appreciate what he brings, and his tribe of mentors is, is a really great yes. concept. That I think really brings out the best of everybody as well. Yeah. Amazing. I, I think you basically stole my thunder with uh, recommending the Four Hour Work Week. So that was, <laughs> this was fantastic, Morris. And, and, and seriously, all all the quotes and stuff like I, like not a lot of grandmasters show up. That is such a boss line like to be able to say that that's gotta it's gotta feel good every day wow jimmy mind blown what a great episode over to you to read us out only after i finally internalize in order to become good at reading out podcasts i must first be a grandmaster. No, no, that doesn't count. I'll never be a grandmaster, but it was a great conversation. And to wrap up, please visit our website for more interactive content at augmenters.us. Please like, subscribe, and more importantly, share our podcast with someone you care about. Feel free to drop us a line, any questions, any suggestions via email, hi at augmenters.us, or find us on your favorite social media. Our handle is augmentershq. If you want to help Julie and Jimmy in our mentoring journey, please subscribe because we all should ask for help. Thank you to our producers, Erlen Cato and Sean Omendam. And remember, we now have live our first digital product, which is the Mentor Leader Starter Kit. It includes everything a leader of a mentor and mentee organization needs to brief themselves for creating, leading, and building an organization that really cares about other people. And it will have a call to action in the end to help your mentors and mentees transform and augment their mentoring skills. You can find it at www.augmenters.us. Thank you and see you soon.